my name is Nathan Cook. Uh, I'm from Memphis, Tennessee. work with uh, Christ Community Health Services in Memphis. Um, my wife and I moved into uh, uh, inner city neighborhood in Memphis um, 12 years ago. Uh, to be a part of to, to be a part of a church plant um, among the urban poor, um, and uh, that was never on my radar. Right? That's that's not what I felt like God was um, calling me to do. Right. So uh, when I was in seminary, I was pretty sure my trajectory was towards the university to uh, get a theology degree and then go on and get a PhD and to, to teach in a, in a college somewhere. That was my plan. That's what I had figured out that um, I really wanted to do uh, with my life. I liked, I liked teaching. Um, I had been in, in undergraduate school. Um, I had gone to a very liberal school that I felt like had done some damage to my faith and I wanted to uh, right some of those wrongs um, by teaching others things that... Um, that I had missed, and uh, so so I had a plan and a purpose for my life um, to do good and to um, uh, to teach people about God. Uh, but God had a, a much different way of working that out in my life, and um, so I just want to share with you uh, some of the things, uh, some of the biblical passages that have been helpful for me along the way, some of the experiences that have been helpful in really discerning this nebulous idea of God's calling. Okay, so before we get started, I just want to ask maybe a couple of you, um, why are you here? Like, not why are you here at the missions conference, but why did you decide to come to, to this particular talk? So, And I just need to hear from two or three people just to make sure I don't like completely miss uh, what God's doing in here. So, a few of you raise your hand. Tell me, what is it that you want to hear? Yeah. Uh, I graduated from nursing school three weeks. I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> to About to graduate from school. Don't have any idea what's next. Okay. Um, I was I was right there with you. Exactly. Uh, anybody else? No hopes, dreams, aspirations. What we're gonna? Yeah. Okay. 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 All right. Anybody else? Yeah. Uh, I think God's calling us to Siberia, but nobody goes to Siberia, and we live near the Outer Banks, through the ocean. And I like the warm weather. Okay. <laughs> okay. These are good. Y'all, this is great. All right. Uh, maybe one more person. Anyone else? Okay. Known, but like just knowing that there's something like I'm missing. Okay. Okay. I just want to know. <laughs> okay. This is good. This is, this is really good. This is going to be great. Okay. Uh, um, so let's uh, let's let's start with prayer, and then if you guys have a Bible, if you, if you don't have a Bible, it's fine. But if you have a Bible, um, flip it open to First Corinthians chapter one. We're going to look at a couple of verses in there. And while you're turning, I'm going to I'm going to pray for us. <coughs> Heavenly Father. Um, we thank you that you do have a plan and a purpose for our lives um, and that you have called us and that you have set us apart to be, to be holy, that you've called us into a, a relationship with you. Um, and, uh, Lord, you have a plan that you are, are, are working and unfolding in this world and you've called us to um, participate in that plan with you. 
Um, Lord, and we're thankful for that. Um, Lord, I just pray um, that you would bring uh, a deep conviction to our hearts, that you would give us a revelation uh, of your Son, Jesus Christ, as our Lord, um, that we would uh, submit to that, that we would trust you, that we would let go of control um, and step out in faith um, to do the work that you've called us to. Um, Lord, we pray... um, I pray that there would not be a spirit of condemnation in in this talk, um, that there would be um, no signs of of judgment, that it would be filled with grace, um, Lord, um, but that you would bring just a deep conviction, um, Lord, that we belong to you and that you have every right um, to guide and direct our steps um, and to move us um, to the places and to the people Uh, that need to hear uh, about the love of your Son, Jesus Christ. Um, So, Lord, we we pray for clarity this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. And we're going to look at uh, four different verses um, in this first chapter this morning. We're not going to read the whole thing. Um, But verse 1 says this. uh, This letter is from Paul chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. Okay, that's point one right there. We're going to stop right there for a second. Paul was called to be an apostle. And there's a a, a ton of stuff that's behind that that we want to kind of unpack. Uh, In order to do so, we need to kind of flip over to Acts chapter 9 and to look um, look at what this calling was all about. I have an opportunity at Christ Community to uh, talk with students, with nursing students and and medical students, residents, and we get to unpack this idea of calling, and it usually takes me about two and a half to three hours in a group, asking a lot of questions. So this is very, this is difficult for me to stand up and kind of do this uh, in front of a a big group like this, but I'm just going to try and hit some of some of the principles that, that we kind of look at and some of the things that are really important for us to know, to understand our calling. So one of the first things I ask is, uh, what does that word mean to you, to be called? So we're going to try again. I, I just, look, I teach in a house church. We've got 12 people. This is very interactive. This is kind of weird for me. So um, a couple of you, what does it mean to be called when you hear that? How do people use that term? What does that mean? We gotta go quick. I don't have a lot of time. Just one or two people. Shout it out. What does it mean to be called? I think whenever I feel like I was called, it, it was more like you know it in your heart. And you like I felt it in dreams, and um, it's like God's telling me that I need you to go do this because I don't have anybody else there to do it. Okay, that's that's really good. When I hear the term called, usually the way that I've heard it is like when um, friends of my mother see my wife and I and say, pat us on the back and say, oh, we're so glad that you're living in the inner city. We're so glad that you're called to do that. Right? That's you. And, and I think that a lot of times we use this term calling to distance ourselves from stuff that we don't want to do. Right? Like, I'm not, that's not what I'm called to. That's not what God has, has put on my heart. That's not what I'm passionate about. Okay? And that's a total abuse of this term. Right? That's, that's not what it means. Um, what, is it, what, it, what it means to be called um, is, is kind of what we're going to look at. Um, and so uh, another question I like to ask the students is like, what, um, what do you want to do? What are you, what are you passionate about? Right? And, 
And, uh, and folks say things like, you know, I, I really, I think that God's calling me to be a surgeon because look at these hands, you know. These hands were made to heal, right? Or, uh, or they'll say uh, something like, um, I'm really um, passionate about uh, fill-in-the-blank culture, whatever it is, a particular, a particular people um, that I just, I just love being around. Hispanic people. I love being uh, around Chinese people. And so God is calling me to work among the Chinese. Or God is calling me because that's what I love and that's what I'm passionate about. And, and what I want to tell you is those things are actually very important. Okay, The things that we're passionate about are, are, are very important, but they're not of first importance. Okay, And if we just follow our dreams and our desires and we, it, when we start from the position of with ourselves, we're going to get ourselves in a lot of trouble. It can actually be extremely dangerous to start from there. But it's important, right? Because God will, will bring you to a, a place where He uses those passions and desires that He's put in your heart. Okay? But that's not the place to start. Alright? And, and to illustrate that, we need to look at Paul's life. Okay? So Paul, Saul, in Acts chapter 9, right before the name change, uh, these were things we know about, about Paul. He loved God. He was zealous for God's honor. He was uh, a great teacher and had a passion for the law. And he hated heresy. Those were some of Paul's passions. And he, he pursued those passions. And the way in which he pursued those passions was to arrest Christians as heretics, and to put them in jail. Right? And so all those passions, if we just look at those things about Paul's life, those are all good things, right? To be zealous about God's law and to, be, and to, be, to, to want His holiness to be displayed upon the earth, to hate heresy, all those things are good. But they were completely misaligned because Paul didn't have one thing that he needed desperately in order to truly step into his calling. And that's that he didn't have a revelation of Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And that's where we have to start. And if you don't get anything else out of this talk this morning, get this. We have to start with a revelation of Jesus as Lord. And that Jesus has the right to write our story. And that we have to humble ourselves... And surrender all of those passions that we have, whether it's for surgery or nursing or for going to wherever we think we're supposed to go, we have to turn those over and and let them go. And God may give them back, but that's not the place for us to start. It's going to get us in a lot of trouble. We have to have a revelation of Jesus. So for, for Paul... He, uh, he was on his way to Damascus, and, and in Damascus he had gotten permission from the high priest um, to arrest Christians and to put them in jail for being heretics of the Jewish faith. And um, on, on, his, on his travels, right, he had a revelation of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And what did he do? He, he was blinded by the light. And I think that's a great metaphor for us, that without a revelation of Jesus as Lord, we're walking through life blind. And we, we, can't, we can't see what's before us. 
And he was stopped. And, and, and uh, it's very clear in Acts chapter 9 that the God says, uh, he, he says to Ananias, right? Uh, he says to Ananias, um, there's a guy coming into town. His name's Paul. And Ananias is like, what? He, that guy arrests believers. And God says, yeah, that's right. And I want you to go and talk to him and uh, to heal him because I, I blinded him. And I want you to pray for him and heal him. And Ananias is like, no, no thank you. Right? I know this guy. And God tells him, I have chosen him to be my representative uh, to the nations. I have chosen him. Paul, a contemporary of Paul, like when I think of what Paul's life must have been like, and this is going to sound weird, but let me say, I think he was really similar to Osama bin Laden. I think that that would be a good modern day equivalent of Paul. See, Osama bin Laden was also zealous for God. Right? He used all of the, his, his wealth, all, of, all, all that he had... Um, to bring honor to God. At great expense to himself, he sacrificed his life. Because he believed that Christians were heretics. And that they were dishonoring God. Osama bin Laden is Paul. And that's who God chose, Paul, to be a representative to the nations. The only difference between Paul and Osama bin Laden, in my opinion is that Osama bin Laden never received a revelation of Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. That's what he needed to reorient his life and then to continue to use his passion and his zeal under the Lordship of Jesus Christ to bring honor to God. The world would be much different today if that would have happened. But that's, that's who Paul was. But with the revelation of the Lordship of Jesus Christ, his life looked much different, didn't it? It's the number one thing. The second thing um, in Paul's story that's really important to us is that Paul's calling got worked out in community, in Christian community with Ananias, right? Not only did God give a revelation to Paul in the the Lordship of Jesus Christ, but he really spoke to Ananias about Paul's calling. And it was Ananias who spoke to Paul. Right? And a lot of times in our, in our culture, in American culture, we try to work these things out for ourselves. Right? Apart from our church. Apart from our faith community. Apart from the plans of our leadership. Right? And we say, God has called me to do this. And if you don't think that that's right, get out of my way because you're hindering me from following God's call. And that's not right. 1 Corinthians 1.1 says that Paul was called to be an apostle. Apostleship is one of many gifts in the body of Christ. He had a role to play, but it wasn't the only role. And, and as you see him living out his faith, like he has other people like Apollos that it sometimes there's conflict between because Apollos is a great teacher, a very charismatic teacher. Um, and, and people, uh, later in this book, it talks about Paul, Paul rebukes folks because he says, some of you claim to follow Paul, some Peter, some Apollos, but don't you understand we're all in this together and we're all following Christ. That we have to have other gifts in the body 
for us to fulfill our calling. Um, just before I, I came here, I was talking to a friend of mine in our house church, and we, we take turns teaching. So I, I teach about once a month in our small group. And, and part of that is because we want everybody to use the gifts that they've been given uh, to be a blessing. And, and my friend Blair was telling me he's, he's, uh, he's extremely busy. He teaches in, a, in an inner city school. Um, he's just been given a grant by uh, the owner of the Grizzlies, by Robert Para, um, to install, to, to teach kids uh, in, his, um, in his school how to install wireless devices. And we're going we're gonna to wire the inner city for wireless through some of Robert Pear's money. And, uh, and so he's extremely busy, and he was saying, like, I just don't think I have time right now um, to teach in house church. And, and he, was, he was going to ask um, to kind of step out of that, that role for a little while. And then, but, then, but then God showed him something. And, uh, and, and Blair said this. He, he told me this just the other day. He said, I realize that this gift of teaching that God's given me is not for me. And that if I, if I stop teaching, it's not going to hurt me. It's going to hurt the body. That God gives us gifts and talents and abilities to be a blessing to the body. And that if we neglect those things, if we don't use those things that God's given us, it doesn't really hurt us. It hurts the church. All right? But the reverse is also true. If the, we demand our, our way, and if we claim that we have some special knowledge of God or what, what He's called us to do, it can bring... It, it, it can bring disunity to the church. Okay, so so we need to work these things out in community with one another and under the direction of our leadership. And we need to be willing that if, if we go to our pastor and we say, uh, you know, he says to us, you know, I know that you want to go and work among the Afghani people, but I don't know that now's not the right time. We can't custom and say you, you, know, you just lack vision or you're afraid or, or whatever that is, we need to, to listen to that and to pray through that because, because maybe we're not ready. Maybe, maybe he sees something in our life that, that we're blinded to and we need to, just, we need to slow down and to listen and to work this out uh, in love and in trust with one another. And maybe we need to be, maybe we need to be redirected. Okay, so, so that's the second thing that we, that we need to learn is that our calling is not just our calling. It's the calling of the church. We're part of a bigger body, and we need to work this out in community. Okay, and then the third thing uh, in, in Acts chapter 9 that we learn is that um, being a missionary uh, entails a great amount of suffering. Right? And that our calling, if we're truly submitted to our lordship, the lordship of Jesus Christ... We're going to suffer. Um, Jesus promised us that. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple must take up his cross and follow me. Okay. For Jesus, the cross wasn't a decorative emblem that he wore around his neck. right? It was an instrument of death. And when he says, take up your cross and follow me, he's saying, follow me to your death. When we encounter the evils of the world, it's, it's, it's not that, that God loves suffering, right? It's just God is holy and we live in a sinful world. And when those two things clash, suffering is a result. When we take the good news of Jesus Christ into a place of spiritual darkness, that darkness wants to hold on and it fights back and suffering is a result. 
And so it's not something to be afraid of. It's not something to run from. It's something to embrace. And it's something to understand that like, when we're suffering, that we're identifying with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And that our suffering does not mean that, that this is a closed door, right? It means we've already made it through the door and we're doing what God wants us to do. It's a good sign. It's a sign of health. Okay? And God will give us the strength to endure. He'll give us the strength. Um, and, and that suffering will, will actually help to sanctify us even more. It'll help us to cling even tighter to Christ as our Lord and Savior. It is for our benefit. Okay? So, those three things we learned from Paul, we have to have uh, a revelation of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that we work out calling in the context of Christian community, and that that our calling, if if we're really doing it right, is going to entail some suffering. All right? Second verse, verse 2, 1 Corinthians 1, 2 says this, We are writing to the church of God in Corinth. You have been called by God to be his own holy people. He made you holy by means of Christ Jesus, just as he did all Christians everywhere. Whoever calls upon the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and theirs. We are called to be holy. Okay, We're called to be holy. Um, I didn't want to go to seminary. And one of the reasons I didn't get, want to go to seminary is because um, I had sin in my life and, uh, and I had done something that I felt was absolutely terrible in my, in my youth. And I knew, I knew, I knew that if I was really going to go into ministry, that God was going to force me to deal with this issue in my past and I didn't want to deal with it. I didn't have the courage to deal with it. But it, but it, the, the, um, the guilt and the shame that I felt from that uh, had, had begun to shape my identity. And um, I was in, and, and uh, so I just pushed that to the back of my mind. I said, well, maybe I won't have to deal with it. And I, I went to seminary. And about two years in, uh, we were in chapel, and uh, one of the professors was um, talking about uh, Numbers chapter 16. And it's the story of Korah's rebellion, right? And so, um, in, in, in Numbers, uh, you know, the people uh, had just rebelled. In, in Numbers 13 and 14, uh, the people of God had, had rebelled against God by refusing to go into the promised land. Um, and because of their refusal, um, God brought judgment upon the people and said, you're going back to the wilderness for 40 years until this generation that has rebelled against me dies out, and then I'll bring you into the promised land. Um, and so they're wandering in the wilderness, and Korah's mad. And he's saying, who are you, Moses, to lead us? We're all holy. God, don't you remember on, on the Mount uh, Sinai that God said, I'll be your God and you'll be my people and that we're all holy. He set us all apart as holy. Why do you get to lead us? And, and Moses trembled at his rebellion, at Korah's rebellion. And, um, and he says, uh, well, well, God will decide. Okay? If you die just in any ordinary way, we'll know that you're right. Okay? 
He's like, but if you, if you die in a supernatural way, in a way that we've never seen before, we'll know that you're wrong. And Korah, in his stupidity, said, all right, I'll take the challenge, right? And God opens up the ground and swallows Korah and his family and 250 other people who were aligned with him in his rebellion. And the professor stood up and said, this is a demonstration of the holiness of God, Right? God is Lord, and He has the right over our life and over our death. He appoints spiritual leadership. Who are we to rebel with Him? And I knew in my heart that that I was withholding from God, and I wasn't letting Him have leadership over this one area of my life. I wasn't allowing Him to bring healing to this deep emotional pain that I had. And I, I'm telling you, like, heavens opened up and I, I experienced the holiness of God. And it was a wonderful and awful thing. And um, they had an altar call and I went down the, the front and I, I prayed. And as I prayed, I just had a picture. I was like, I've got to go tr- talk to this person that I hurt in my youth. And the next day, I got up, I got in my car, and I drove six hours to find them and to confess my sin. And you know what the person said to me? Is that it? They had no idea. They said, it's, it's not a big deal. I don't, I don't hold anything against you. Be free. And there was this weight, this tremendous weight that was lifted. And I felt free. And I felt freedom to minister. Because I had experienced God's grace. And now I knew how to extend God's grace to others. And so, if there's anything in your life, right, that you've hidden from God, um, and I know, like, there are all kinds of sexual addictions that are going on now. Like it's 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 a horrible time to be an American, right? Um, there there are uh, a lot of women struggling with eating disorders. There are a lot of hidden dark sins that we carry, and and we're too ashamed to share with others. I'm saying, look, God is calling you to minister, but He's also calling you to be holy, and He wants. To help you. He wants to bring healing to you. And so find somebody that you can confide in and start working through this stuff. It's you're not unique in your sinfulness, right? Um, and it's it's nothing to be really ashamed of. But we need to, to confront it and to confess it and allow God to bring healing so that we can bring healing to others. Because He's called us to be holy. Just as he is holy. Skip down to verse 9. It says this. God will surely do this for you, for he always does just what he says. And he is the one who invited you into this wonderful friendship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Other versions say uh, he has called you into fellowship with Jesus. Okay. Um, calling isn't something that happens once in our life, right? And then, and then everything just kind of works out from that. 
uh, God has called us into a, a relationship with the Son, Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and Savior. And God, Jesus consistently, daily, directs our steps. Calling is lived out daily because we're not just called to a task. We're not just called to a job. We're called to a relationship. I'm telling you, I never thought that I was going to I was going to live in the inner city. When I, when I went to seminary, that was not in the cards, right? Uh, that came through, through prayer, through revelation, right? And God redirected my steps. He redirected my steps to the inner city. Um, but now, you know, 12 years later, uh, I'm getting to do many of the things that, that I initially wanted to do. In, in teaching students. You know, I thought it was going to be a university. It ends up that it's in the inner city of Memphis as medical students come through through Memphis and are, are trying to get a vision for what God wants them to do with their life. I have an opportunity daily to teach students God's, God's Word. But that, I couldn't see that. Like, I, I never would have planned that it would, it would look like this. It, it came through having a relationship with Jesus and daily submitting to His Lordship. And just taking things one step at a time as he as he guides and directs. Um, and this is the last verse. We're going to spend a little bit of time on this one. Um, is in twenty six. So jump down to jump down to verse twenty six. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes, or powerful, or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God deliberately chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think that they are wise. And he chose those who are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important, so that no one can ever boast in the presence of God. God alone made it possible for you to be in Christ Jesus. For our benefit, God made Christ to be wisdom itself. He is the one who made us acceptable to God. He made us pure and holy, and He gave Himself to purchase our freedom. As the Scriptures say, the person who wishes to boast should boast only of what the Lord has done. God chooses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chooses the weak to display His power. He chooses us. And what we need to do is to remember... um, they were not great surgeons or doctors who God just wants to bring healing to the world. We are weak, sinful, broken people. And we can do nothing apart from God displaying His power through us. And this is not just true of the Corinthians. It's not just true for us. It's true throughout the history of of Israel throughout the history of Christianity. And so let's just run through them real quick. Okay? Moses was an ex-con with a stuttering problem that God called to confront the most powerful man on the planet. It's a picture of this, right? He chooses the weak to shame the strong, to display his power through the stuttering man, the power of the plagues. 
to display His glory to the earth. And if you remember the story, Moses doesn't want to go, right? When he receives the calling, it's not like, yeah, God, let's go do that. All my family's still back there in Egypt, and they're slaves. I can't wait to get back there, right? No, he's found safety and security in Midian. He's got a good family. He's got a great in-laws. Things are okay. Why would you want? Why? 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 Moses, why? why would I want? Why would I want to do that, Lord? And he gives all these reasons and excuses for not going. And God basically says, "I'm the Lord. Go." So Moses wrestles with God, but then after wrestling, what does he do? He goes. He's faithful and obedient. And this is what I want you to understand, is that being faithful and obedient doesn't mean that we, that we don't wrestle with God. It's okay. It's okay to struggle. It's okay to resist for a while. Some of y'all are saying, like, I know God's calling me to do this. I'm having trouble leaving the comfort. That's okay. As long as in the end, you recognize He's Lord and you go. Because you're sinful, just as Moses was sinful, just as I'm sinful, God chooses sinful people to do holy things. It's his pattern. We just have to recognize the lordship of Jesus and go. The other thing that's great about Moses' story is like, where does it begin? Where does it, where does it begin? It begins with a burning bush, right? And Moses receives a revelation of the holiness of God. Right? And God says, take off your sandals for you're standing on holy ground. He sees the lordship of God. That's where it begins for him, right? Just as that's where it began with Paul. He sees the glory of God. He recognizes his own sinfulness. And yet he submits to the will of the Father. That's calling. That's what it looks like. I've got one slide. That's it. Okay? This is a... Oh, oh man. <laughs> Did you see it? <laughs> it was really powerful. <laughs> oh, it just came undone. Lance, can you, uh, can you do this while I talk about it? All right, so this is what you're about to see. Maybe. Uh, is, uh, this, this is a painting by Caravaggio. And um, I was directed to this painting. I, I came to this after reading uh, Pope Francis's first interview. Okay, uh, Pope Francis uh, was interviewed after becoming Pope, and um, he was asked some random question about being in Rome. And, and uh, apparently, uh, the, the Pope hadn't been to Rome very often. Um, but when he did go, he said that he would go in, into this chapel that's in Rome, and he would look at this painting by Caravaggio. And the painting is the calling of Saint Matthew, and and he would just contemplate it. And he said that, that for him, like, this is, this is what it looked like for him to follow Christ. And, um, and so these are some of the things that we'll point out. Like, like, there's a little bit of controversy here. Not controversy, but disagreement as to who Matthew actually is uh, in this painting. And so some people say it's this older gentleman right here, and others say it's the young man right here. Okay? It's this guy. I'm telling you. 
This is God. Okay? So let me, let me, let me explain, uh, what you're seeing, right? So here's Jesus right here. He has a halo on his head. St. Peter is by his side. Jesus is pointing to Matthew, the tax collector. And he's saying, come and follow me. And look at, look at Matthew's response. He's bent over the table, and it's hard to see in his face, but he's clutching something in his hands. And he's refusing to make eye contact with Jesus as Lord. What's in his hands? Money. He's a tax collector. He doesn't want to let go of the comfort of his occupation. And why is he clutching it? Why is he refusing to look at Jesus? It's because he knows. These other folks, they don't know who Jesus is. But Matthew knows. The Lord has stepped into the room. He's calling me to follow him. And that means I'm going to have to let go of this stuff. I'm going to have to let go. And this is a beautiful painting that captures what we go through when we really when we really receive a revelation of Jesus as Lord. Some of you said at the very beginning, I don't I, I don't want to let go of the comfort of the American dream. I want to. I want to let I, I know that's what I'm supposed to do, but it's so hard and I'm clutching onto it. I'm holding on to it. I'm, I'm having trouble letting go of that comfort and that security. That's calling. That's it. And he does let go. And he does, he does follow Jesus. But we have to let go of the comfort. We have to let go of the control. Matthew's sinful. He's weak. He's greedy. But God calls him, equips him, empowers him to write one of the Gospels that we still treasure today. A sinful... Look, it's written by a sinful, greedy man. We have hope, right? That's us. The whole whole litany of of saints in the Bible who, who began their lives as sinners, right? Gideon. Gideon is another. In Judges chapter 6, the calling of Gideon. I love this story. Um, an angel appears to Gideon and says, says to a mighty warrior. That's how he addresses it. And Gideon's like, what? what? No, you don't understand who I am. See, let me tell you who I am. I'm the weakest man in my family. My family's the weakest in the clan. And the clan's the weakest in the tribe. And the tribe's the weakest in the nation of Israel. And the, Israel's the smallest and weakest nation of all the nations of the earth. I don't know who this mighty warrior is, but I'm the weak guy. I'm the weakest man on earth. That's how Gideon views himself. And you know what? That's who Gideon was. God chooses the weak to shame the powerful. God uses Gideon to confront the Midianites who are wreaking havoc on Israel. They're burning the land. They're destroying the cattle. There's famine because of this war. Gideon himself is suffering because of it. 
That's who God calls. Weak people like Gideon, like you, and like me. And so, God gives Gideon a task. And this is another important thing for us to understand. Is that We usually don't just jump right into what God's called us to. We don't, we don't begin with the end. There are steps we have to take all along the way. And so, God gives Gideon a ministry task to prepare him to learn how to walk by faith and not by fear. And this is what he tells him to do. He says, he says Gideon, this is what I want you to do. Your father has, has built altars to Baal. And I want you to go and tear them down. No, no, you don't know what you're asking me. He says, if I tear down those altars, the townspeople are going to come kill me. They love those things, right? They're going to kill me. So he doesn't want to do it. Just like Moses, he wrestles with God. And yet, he submits. And he does so in a, in a, very, in a way that weak people will. He sneaks out in the middle of the night, right? And he tears down the altar. And, and next morning, he wakes up. He goes out to the town square. And this is what he hears. Who tore down the altar? It must be Gideon. Let's kill him. No! I told you, God, this was going to happen. But his dad steps in. And he steps between Gideon and the crowds. And he says, you can't have my son. This is the man who built the altar. That in that moment the heart of Gideon's father is turned to God and he, this is a picture of repentance. And he protects his son and the crowds disperse. And God protects Gideon. He was faithful. He was obedient. He was courageous. Even though it doesn't really look at it on the surface, he was courageous because he confronted his fears and he was obedient in the midst of them. And God uses that as training for him to confront later the Midianite army. And so many of you, like, you're in that place right now. You're not in the end game. You're not, you're not where you want to be or where you think you should be. But take every advantage. If you're in school now, like Rick Donlin, who's my friend, talks about this all the time. You don't have to wait to start tackling your fears until you get out of residency. Start addressing them now. Do ministry now. Rick talks about early on one of the things that he did while he was in medical school was to teach Bible study in, a, um, in, a, in an inner city community, and he was scared to death. First time they, they drove, and, and he was challenged to do that by a Sunday school teacher. Right? And he listened to the, the, the spiritual authority in his life, and he didn't want to do it. He was afraid to do it. He wrestled with God. He goes, to, uh, he goes to the apartment complex. Men come to the, the door and, and, and to the window and say, what do you want? You want? What do you want? You want crack? You want marijuana? He's like, no, it's happening, right? His fears are being realized. You know. But he walks through that. Nothing happens, right? They begin to teach the Bible study. He goes back the next week, the next week, the next week. He realizes, hey, these folks aren't that bad, right? I'm not going to die. He confronts his fears. It's a ministry task that prepares him later for the work that God's going to call him to do. We have um, 
many students and residents that move into the inner city of Memphis with us while they're doing their residency to begin to build relationships with their neighbors. I had a uh, Halloween, just having the right, I had a, um, is Callie in here? Uh, get Callie to tell you the story, go down to the tent, it's awesome. Uh, but but uh, Callie runs one of our guest houses in one of our inner city communities. And uh, she came to me one day and she's like, Nathan, you have to call the cops. I'm like, what's going on, Callie? She's like, my drug, de- my, my drug dealer neighbor, he's, 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 He's building a maze next to my house. There's a vacant lot. I was like, what do you mean he's building a maze? It's a maze. It's the size of the house. It's the size of the house that's next to my, my house. I'm like, what are you talking about? This guy had taken pallets, like old recycled pallets, and was making them into a haunted maze. And I, I went and saw these things, and it literally was the size of a house. It was awesome, right? And uh, they had, you know, a coffin in there, and somebody's jumping out of the coffin. They had a chainsaw, some other chainsaw. And the guy's like, what are you doing? And she's like, we're inviting kids to come to the haunted maze. Well, how are we? <laughs> she's like, no. And she's like, what do I do? What do I do? I was like, bake cookies and go out there and go through the maze. Right? These guys, they're not, they're, they're just, this is what they do. Like, this isn't, there's nothing wrong with this. Right? This is, this is a missions opportunity. Embrace it. And you know what she did? Like, she was scared to death. You know what she did? She baked cookies. She got some face paint. They got it out in the front yard. And there's these hordes of people that were, like, waiting to go through the haunted maze. And she, she painted faces. And, and at one point, like, they had this huge inflatable, like, castle that was, like, the entrance to the maze. And um, the generator, the, the generator went out that was blowing this thing up. And, and Callie said, look, plug into my house. Like, plug it in over here. And she won the affection of her drug dealer neighbor by loving him, by serving him, by coming along beside of him. She overcame her fear and in the midst of that opened up to a relationship to now she can share the gospel and love. It's a small thing, but these are the ministry tasks that Jesus gives us every day to prepare and equip us for the big work that's coming later on. But he doesn't just pick us up and drop us and, and plop us off in Siberia, right? There, there are things and there are steps all along the way where he's preparing us and equipping us. One more, Isaiah. He's my favorite, okay? Isaiah chapter 6. <clears throat> How does Isaiah's calling begin? It begins with a revelation of the glory of God, of the holiness of God. Right? Moses sees a bush. Gideon sees an angel. Isaiah sees God himself enthroned in his temple. All three of them, it's the same thing. It begins with a revelation of, of God's lordship, of his authority, of his sovereignty over their lives. It's where calling begins. We have to have a revelation of God and his sovereignty. And then what's the next step? He says, woe is me. All right? You never want to be on the wrong end of a woe. Okay? Right? When the prophets say, woe to you, Corazon, bad stuff's about to happen. Woe is me, just as bad. Right? For I am a man of unclean lips. He recognizes his sinfulness. He recognizes the holiness of God. He recognizes his sinfulness, his weakness. This is all good stuff. Right? It's a good pat." Pattern, pretty strong pattern here starting to emerge, right? Woe is me, 
but God cleanses him of his sin, takes the coal, right, from the altar and touches his lips and cleanses him. And then he says, who shall go for me? And Isaiah raises his hand and says, Lord, here I am. I will go. And what's really powerful, like I, I think that of all of them, Isaiah is our model, right? Because Isaiah is not responding to a job description. He's not responding to a task, right? At this point, God hasn't told Isaiah what he's supposed to do. He's responding to the holiness of God. It says, God, whatever it is, whatever the job is, I now see that you are Lord and that you are all-powerful. And whatever it is, I'll do it. And then he gets the crummiest job description in the Bible. Okay? God tells us. So now he's got, God has a compliant, faithful young man said, here I am. Write your drive description out. Whatever it is, I'll do it. Okay, Isaiah, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go and preach to your own pe- people a message of repentance. But I'm going to harden their hearts and deafen their ears so that they never repent. Right? God promises Isaiah, in a sense, a fruitless ministry. And I, Isaiah responds by saying, What? <laughs> How long, O oh Lord, must I do this? God says, until there's only a stump left, and when there's a stump, I'll burn it. This is not good. But he's faithful. And thousands of years later, we still treasure his words. And people all over the world have repented of their sins because of Isaiah and his ministry. God may be calling you to do something that you never experienced the fruitfulness of in your life. Right? We were just talking a minute ago about what's happening in China right now. And just millions of people coming to faith. It took 450 years of missions history to get to that point. And those early missionaries, they didn't see people coming to Christ in droves. They toiled, they gave their life, they lived and died because God had called them to surrender to His Lordship and to trust that His plan was bigger than what they could see. And those missionaries were faithful. They surrendered their life and now we're seeing the fruit of their labor. That's, that's you and that's me and that's what God has called us to. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just I pray for this group, Lord, that we would um, we would see your lordship and we would surrender to it. And Lord, many of us in here may be wrestling now, and that's okay. But Lord, I pray that you'd give us the strength to submit to you, to follow you to bring glory and honor to your name um, through our weak vessels. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys.